What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined by my man Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we finally have some good basketball to talk about. After the All-Star break, the Lakers have come back four in a row um, against a you know decent middling stretch of the league. So came back against uh, the Pacers, who have been slipping a little bit lately, but a pretty solid team still missing uh, Karis LeVert. DJ Warren got a W out of that. And then they blew out Golden State. That felt good. Minnesota game that felt like a complete like haze for me, like very not memorable other than watching Anthony Edwards just trying to murder people on a possession by possession basis. That was fun. And then we got to see uh, LaMelo uh, in the last game against the Hornets. I just brushed through that just to set everything up. We're going to dive deeper in. But what was kind of your general takeaway? I thought they looked good. They looked like a team that was comfortable playing without Anthony Davis for the first time, I think, since he's been out for, you know, the near future. I agree. And I think a lot of that has come down to them shifting their offensive focus a little bit. And with Mark out, I think we've seen the team change from doing more of those five out mark at the top of the key facilitating stuff to more like horn sets. We've seen more one, four high sets. We've seen a lot of the stuff that on the pod we've talked about and, I've seen a step up for the team in general in terms of like running good plays, running plays that match what the defense is kind of showing you. And we've seen some good execution. And then on the defensive end, I think Jones has been really, I mean, low key, but very good in terms of doing what he needs to do defensively. Because if we're playing like Kaycock or like if he's not there and we don't have Mark and we don't have AD, we're looking a lot different defensively, um, but he's come in already has like almost 10 blocks in just a couple games. We're seeing him, uh, I think, fit in with the defensive scheme and that defensive scheme itself has evolved a little bit. So I've, I've been really pleased with what we've seen so far. Uh, it's been an easier portion of the schedule and the upcoming game against the Hawks, you know, they're on a little bit of a win streak, but they've beaten up on a bunch of bad teams. I think the Suns game on Sunday is going to be the real first chance to see this Lakers team and try to gauge this growth. 
uh, since that last Suns game where they beat us at the beginning of the month. This this middle stretch, I think, has been a good chance to kind of get your get your sea legs under you and, and guys are a little bit more rested. They're tweaking something schematically. We've tried out some zone. Um, I've liked – there's been a little bit more switching. So I've liked the experimentation, the progress we've seen, and it's translated to results as well. So that's been really positive. I think that plus just a natural – players playing better right tht has had a nice couple games kyle kuzma has been excellent in all four of mm-hmm. these post all-star break games you know starting in this indiana game where he had 24 and 13 rebounds you know three of six from three just really like insane 29 percent usage in that indiana game so just understanding he needs to pick his spots and and pick more spots, you know, and he's taking movement shots a lot more now, or at least maybe it's anecdotal in the last couple of games I've seen, but Kyle Kuzma getting involved off the bench, Montrez Harrell with uh, just an insanely efficient run this last couple of games, really just providing that positive, positive on offense. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you, like you mentioned, I, I haven't tried to think of it in these terms, but the Lakers have looked better without Gasol. Is that a coincidence? I guess I'll just start there. I think it's a coincidence. I think his absence has also just coincidentally been the same time the team, you know, had the all-star break to really take some time and think about what they can be tweaking. They're doing some self-scouting. They're looking at what's working, what's not working. And I think if Gasol were inserted into these same sorts of actions offensively and defensively over the past couple of games, he would perform just fine. So I don't see it as, you know, he's gone, so we're performing well. It just unfortunately for him worked out that way and he's already a dude that uh for a lot of fans doesn't isn't viewed the most highly for what he does bring and it's not the flashiest of skill sets but uh we've kind of seen that coincide with some improvements the lakers have made I, i as you were talking about coups and tht i was like jotting down like names of guys that over the past four games i've seen used a little bit differently and in smarter ways. And the list just kept growing and growing and growing. And I think that speaks to how much the team has really taken a step back, looked bigger picture, said, all right, like, what are, who are our players? What are they good at? How can we put them in those positions to succeed? And we've seen that translate to the more finer tuned, granular details of the X's and O's. Like with Kuz, you've talked about the movement shooting. We've seen an uptick from that. Uh, he's been very willing to fire on shots, which, you know, credit to him. He's not turning stuff down. He's not being indecisive, but he's been way more involved in set plays, cutting to the rim, not just on his own, but on UCLA cuts where he starts at the top of the key and he runs off a screen around one of the elbows towards towards the rim. So that's one way we've seen him get a couple buckets from that. And then we've also seen him sometimes even after he makes that cut running off of staggered screens or pin downs or flare screens, things to get him involved. That was something that we've done for stretches of the season and it's worked decently well. And sometimes for him to score, sometimes for him to pass, sometimes just to draw the defense's attention so that LeBron or Schroeder or AD or whoever can go to work on the strong side. We've seen the team use that more. And I think having AD out, having Gasol out kind of forced the team's hand in terms of, using different actions. And I think the ones they've moved to have been smart with THT. I just remember seeing the Lakers go to it time and time again, earlier in the season where they'd have him set those inverted ball screens for LeBron. And then if he ran a ghost screen where he he slips that screen and runs to the three point line, he would often catch and like, he's not going to shoot that shot. 
or if he does shoot that shot, it's not going in. And if he's going to drive, there, there are dudes there. Or the team would have him set that ball screen and then just kind of short roll. And he'd often catch with his back to the basket with dudes all around him, everyone just kind of standing around. Like it was an action. It wasn't an organized play. The team has taken that same situation where opposing teams are showing on those uh, inverted ball screens. So when we have a guard setting a screen for LeBron, that screener's man is going to step out and make sure LeBron can't turn the corner instead of playing like drop coverage or something because you don't do that with guards. So when they do that, instead of having THT catch with his back to the basket or kind of slipping to the three-point line, what the Lakers have been doing more recently is they've cleared out a whole side of the court for him and let him do, do one of those like ghost screens, but he's kind of popping to space trying to catch and turn the corner and there's no defenders over there. So that on its own, that tweak went brought this from like a CC minus kind of setup to like a BB plus already. And then on a lot of these, we're also seeing that paired with a weak side staggered screen or something so that the help defense isn't there. So that's making THT. That makes it from a, it went from a C to a B. Now it's like an A plus action. And we've seen him score multiple times with that. We've seen the Lakers go to it multiple times. And that's just one little tweak using the same concepts, the same actions, but fitting the puzzle pieces together better in a way that's helping him out. Uh, Trez is another guy instead of him lingering kind of behind the backboard. So he'd catch and then have to power dribble and then try to put the ball up. We've seen him hang out more on the front side of the backboard. So when he gets the ball, he finds the space, gets the ball. And then he has that really quick, uh, just little push shot from a foot or two away from the rim. Even if there's a shot blocker in front of him, it's so quick and he gets it up that they're not blocking that shot. So we've seen his just as a dump off man increase volume, increase efficiency. And that's why that's the little tweak for a shorter dude. He's like six, six without shoes. You don't want him having to like power dribble and then finish over dudes. He he's just putting himself in a position using his quickness and, and getting easy buckets that way. So those are just some examples. Um, and I have more, but I've talked for a bit of no, just yeah. little ways. I've seen the Lakers be smarter and, and use guys, put guys in positions to succeed. And we're seeing it work really well. Yeah. Well, try and talk about all the, those things like through we're going through the, the games individually. I was going to say that, uh, Oh, the thing I've been monitoring, you know, we've been talking about is what it's the Lakers half court offense look like, because I still mm-hmm. think that's going to ultimately be, you know, what they live and die by as far as what, how, what their ceiling can be and how they could keep up with a team like Brooklyn, you know, if it becomes an offensive shootout. So in this game, 98.8 per cleaning the glass in the half court, which isn't great to be honest, but I actually will say it's better than it's been as of late. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, THT in those ghost screens on the, a couple of those plays, he's not completely popping to the three. Like he's still popping a little bit short there. Uh, he will do, Literally a 720 to get back to his right hand. He took a two two left-handed layups. One of them technically didn't count because he got fouled and he missed. But he did take a left-handed left-handed layup again. I think he's one for two officially on the year, Tim. Mm-hmm. So Twitter is going crazy. I just cannot get over. He's getting some calls now, which is nice. He's finishing through contact. Um, he's been really good in there finding ways to get him some space, but I'm not completely convinced that sticks around in playoff kind of atmosphere. Do you think, I think the Trez stuff could be real. Cause I think he's a very good player and a lot of Trez's buckets have been just straight effort, right? Like straight up 
put back offensive rebounds that are contested coming down with them, yamming on dudes heads. Trez has just been a monster this past week. It really stepped it up. And, uh, and THT has been a product of kind of some better, you know, team uh, deployment, so to speak. So do you think THT is real? Do you think Trez is real? Like for the playoffs? I think the tweaks that we've seen have been real and they're purposeful it, it shows that the, that the team's understanding how they can better set their guys up to succeed. And I think the THT one directly feeds into the Trez one because Trez is going to fight on the boards. He's going to be around there. Him being on that front side of the backboard instead of the behind it means he's going to finish better on dump offs, but also means he's in better position for offensive rebounds. And when you better set guys like THT and Schroeder up to actually drive and penetrate, which is something they're good at, but as a whole on the season hasn't been like the volume hasn't been there. So that pipeline to Trez either through his man goes over and tries to help on one of those shots that that frees him up way, way more to get offensive boards than if it's a three pointer and his defender doesn't actually need to leave him and can box him out. So the THT improvement and I think there's a shooter one as well that we haven't talked about those directly help Trez. And I think there's a ton of synergy there and we're seeing everyone just kind of increase their their level of play because of that. So for the playoffs, I mean, like at a certain point, I would assume THD having only one hand would come back to bite him, but it doesn't seem to have. And like it's been a while, so it's not like there's some simple thing that defenses aren't quite doing. And he does a lot and he has a ton of craft in terms of getting back to his strong hand. Um, if he does start shooting left-handed layups and making them, I, I think that'll help him even more. But even where he is today with these little X's and O's tweaks, I, I like it. And I think it'll come down to his off-ball defense. Um, can he keep himself on the court in a playoff environment for a defensive-minded coaching staff? If so, I, I think he can fit in. The concern then just becomes like, from a spacing standpoint, will defenses start leaving him alone? We didn't really see that from the couple teams we've we've played recently. And some of that has to do with him being more of a screener and cutting and the Lakers using him in ways to mitigate that. But that is still one of those glaring concerns that in a playoff environment might be troublesome. And then with Trez, the improvements he's made, I think they're legit and I think they're helped by those other things. Will he be able to stay on the court <laughs> again is the other thing. Uh, what does it look like in the playoffs? Is this catch hedge scheme, does that just translate to the playoffs and he's going to continue playing that and it's all good and well? Or does he end up sitting more? Um, so when he is playing, I do think what we've seen uh, from, on a more granular level is legit and will continue. The Golden State game here, uh, as mentioned, Trez going off this week. He was 11 for 13 at this game. Tim, do you know what the Lakers shot at the rim like percentage wise, just giving a guess for this game where Trez. I'm guessing off. it's good. I'll guess 70%. The Lakers shot 100% at the rim. That, that can't be possible. And cleaning this the glass. Is, this is legit. Filters out garbage time to be fair. Wow. So, but yes. And they, I remember seeing it in the telecast. Lakers were 18 for 18 and shots at the rim. Holy and crap. they drew seven fouls in the after, you know, on top of that as well. And Jeez. Montrez, 11 for 13. You know, Dennis Schroeder only took five shots. I think that's key. I mean, we were texting a little bit during this game, and you, you had like some of the things that Golden State was doing early in the first quarter, and Steph went off early, you know, hitting a lot, you know, super long shots, getting, you know, assists, uh, just really 
being the hub of their offense. And I was like, careful, they're on the back the second night of a back to back. They had beat Utah, who's crashed down to earth a little bit. Uh, and uh, I was like, hold on a second here. Like this <laughs> this Warriors team like can't do anything when Steph's not on the court. Yeah, yeah. You were I from like a process standpoint early in the game, I wasn't liking how we started and the score was pretty close at that point. And then Steph went out and you're texting me like, you know, <laughs> relaxed him. These guys aren't good. Um, yeah. And that became quite apparent over the remaining three quarters. They just for a team that doesn't have much scoring creation or three point shooting, like they run some good plays. It's just not a these guys aren't able to do it. And defensively, they don't really have like domineering shot blocking. So we see our guys finishing really well at the rim. So it was, yeah, second night of the back-to-back. It, it was a much easier game and my stress levels went down substantially following the first quarter. But even in this one, for these first two games, a lot of what I brought up so far, we just saw a little bit of glimpses of. It was the next two games where I think something really flipped. And on, a, on the process side, I was like thrilled with what I was seeing from the Lakers. These first two, it was more, you know, getting your feet under you, trying stuff out and winning and, and beating up on a, a Golden State team that's not the best this year, having some injuries. Um, but then once we get to these next two games, that's where I think the Lakers really turned the corner. So keeping an eye on that half court efficiency uh, in this game, a pretty good uh, 113.2. Half court rating. <laughs> Whoa. So, you know, you like to see that again. This this is a lot of a factor of who we played this week, too. Um, and But the Lakers played well. We had a 14 point KCP game. He finally went off for three threes in a game, you know, kind of looking like that January KCP there. Uh, I thought Keith has has played pretty well. He put in uh, seven points, THT 10 points, you know, LeBron only Schroeder had six. So this was a game where they they were really able to ride Trez and a couple of other guys to like just see more offense kind of popping off out of a KCP like Trez handoff or some other stuff like completely different ways. Um, but this game, you know, got out of hand pretty quickly. So I don't know if there's more you want to mention about this one. Um, I brought up that you know, the rim rating, the um, their half court rating, uh, not too much else here. I mean, their defense, uh, you know, their half court defense, 72.9. Jeez. <laughs> wow. And I remember watching the game and like seeing like all the Lakers guys having fun on the bench at the end and then just like looking over and seeing Steph just like super down. And I, I feel for the guy. Uh, one last thing with this one, I I think bringing KCP up, up is a great point. His oh yeah game and I, the way oh, that you can yeah. see his confidence or lack thereof is very apparent with how he plays, and he can get in his own head. And like for Kuzma in the past, it's been like all right, well when he's confident, he starts taking like bad shots. With KCP, when he's not confident, he's not taking the good shots. He's not taking the shots he can make. So uh, in a way, those little slumps become a little bit more elongated by and, and it hurts the offense by him not pulling the trigger when you go out like you shouldn't be running after timeout plays to get a KCP mostly open three if he's not going to shoot it and there have been a couple times over the past couple weeks where that's been the case and yeah that's frustrating but this was a game that stood out where he was firing and shots were following following and falling and when they don't fall 
that's okay. They're, they're not going to fall some days, but you have to continue playing your game and believe in yourself and trust yourself that, you know, big picture things will work out the way they should because he is a really good shooter. But when he's not shooting, that's when it really starts hurting the offense. So seeing him flip that switch in this game was one of the more notice- noticeable, important things from my perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love me some KCP. You know, I've been asking for him to get more involved in the offense. And uh, when when he gets a guaranteed like, you know, five, six threes a game, I feel like he's going to make at least two or three of them. Mm-hmm. And um, the Lakers just I was looking, you know, I think in the Indiana game, they, they didn't shoot like poorly, but they only took 20 threes like total. And like both games, Indiana and Golden State, they're getting to the rim and shooting at the rim like pretty well. So they can like you can see how they're trying to like, OK, these shots aren't falling. We got to get to the hoop and and find. And you've mentioned a lot of the ways they've kind of adjusted to get a couple more opportunities there with their second unit. But mm-hmm. um, it's still kind of worrying me that like 20 shots, you know, scoring 105 points, you know, again, a game is, is probably not going to cut it in the grand scheme. But of course, we're missing Mark. We're missing A.D trying to take things into to context a little bit more. So moving through to that Minnesota game, Tim, uh, Lakers played Minnesota on uh, Tuesday night on the second night of a back to back. And this one didn't really ever feel in doubt for me, even though it was kind of close. The Lakers looked a little bit more like the early season where they're maybe up seven, eight, but the game never felt kind of in in threat they didn't feel like they had the third quarter collapse coming that that mm-hmm. had happened so many times and and they rallied through um just really quick on their you know half court efficiency 123 pretty good um now minnesota's was really good too 113 that's a little concerning but I'm I, I'm happy to see anything above like 108 really in the half court because that means they're really getting great shots and, and they're, you know, killed it from three in that game too, uh 54 percent from three. Yeah, really good. win. And so I, I, for me, the 70 points we conceded to Minnesota in the first half was not the ideal way to start the game, but over that second <laughs> half, it was like 50-51 total. So the, the team kind of reeled that in. Uh, and I liked, I don't know, I, I do want to mention that Minnesota looked way more prepared for this game than the other previous two times we've played them this year. They, I mean, like you said, it wasn't really, like I didn't feel we were going to lose. But at the same time, Minnesota, like, kept it pretty close for a lot of the game. And I, from a game planning standpoint, I thought they did well. I didn't like that they didn't play my boy, Jordan McLaughlin. Um, but, but oh, no, wait, he is COVID. Never mind. He's in the COVID protocol, so I take that back. Um, D'Lo was out, so they had some guys missing. But uh, that was a good fight and um, was really pleased. Again, we saw Trez at 25 points, THT 16, Ku 16, LeBron with a triple-double. I think this was the game where he got the triple-double and then immediately fouled somebody to get out of the game because it just was not a game in reach. Uh, another thing I want to call out, I think by this point in time, by by this third game, uh, I had realized, 
you know, first game, saw some of it. Second game, saw some more. By this third game, I realized that, like, Keefe looks pretty good. He's moving well. He's doing what he does. And the shots are falling a little bit more now for him. And I think with him and with Wes, how they are viewed and, and how they're playing can come down to, like, if their threes are not falling or not. And I think he's hopefully turned a corner there and can be that guy that we hope he can be. And we saw last year and, and like, he's talked about being more well-rested. So I think that's really helpful another solid win from the Lakers and uh, against an easier team, but like you did what you were supposed to do. So I'm, I'm pleased with that. And in the areas we were worried about that half court offense, it was looking pretty good. And keep this is, this might sound weird, Tim, but I feel like he shoots better from three when he gets a few two point look touches. Like if he's only shooting from three, I'm kind of worried about his, his role that game. And lately, obviously, without Anthony Davis, there's a lot more just general usage going around. So mm-hmm. he's getting these random, you know, mid post touches. I don't mind keeping that, to be honest. If he's going to be on the court, even if it's a D back and, and spacing on the other side, I think it, I don't know, just gets him more into the game. This is total, you know, completely unquantifiable. But I, I think it, it, just gets him better in in rhythm i don't know i don't know it it's i get what you're saying and i've actually i've heard this from agents before i've talked to some who like for example this one player he's been a little streaky and and we're talking about it and the agent was saying if he you know gets involved early in the game get going to the rim that gives him the confidence and then the three start falling and he's doing more of the self-creation, all those sorts of things. So they were tracking it and logging it for that individual player. It was the case. I don't know, big picture. It might be for Keith. It might not be, but I, I get what you're saying. Like for, and for him, I think those touches come in those mid post kind of ISOs like you're talking about. And mm-hmm. when he's able to go one V one, he's, he's done pretty good. Like he's been good at that over his career when he's facing extra help, just like with our other Laker post players, have struggled a bit but uh when he's able to just go 1v1 he's he's pretty solid with that and then the other thing that we talked about on one of the mid-season review pods was he's like surprisingly active as a putback guy and on the offensive board so between those two ways if you can just get him one or two touches and then he can kind of settle into that stretch big role yeah i like that he's not a dude that's gonna like attack you off the dribble from the three-point line but position him a little closer to the rim to start with and he can convert and, and score some points in that way Trez again, 10 for 15 in this game, 23 points. LeBron's three-point touch seems to have come back, at least here for a couple games. He's been raining some threes. He went four for seven from deep in this game. Um, yeah, I I don't think the Timberwolves looked nearly as discombobulated as that last time we played them, like three mm-hmm. weeks ago, I think, uh, when Ryan Saunders was still the coach. And, yep. you know, Finch has only been there a couple weeks. Like he's going to have time to put his stuff in. I, I'm not really judging them right now, but uh, they looked a little bit more frisky than and no D-Lo this game, obviously, either. Yeah, they were missing some guys. D-Lo was out. McLaughlin was in the COVID protocols. Um, oh, my so God. They're missing their two key guards, man. He was available, but, I think, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, was he? Oh, OK. He just got a DNP CD. All right. Well, then I like Finch a lot less than I was about to. <laughs> Um, no, but but seriously, like I agree with you. They looked way more prepared and organized yeah. and purposeful in how they were attacking. And like they have some talent on that roster. It's just about 
again, fitting the puzzle pieces together, make the prettiest picture and credit to Finch coming quick. They've already changed some things up defensively that in the past they were not doing a good job with. Now they've done a much better job. And uh, I mean, credit to Finch in a tough situation coming into a team midseason. I remember when he got hired, it was so quick after Saunders was gone that there was a lot of criticism um, around just like, did you go through a good process for this? Is there like a a race element going on? And and this is actually Minnesota. They have diversity up and down their organization on the front office side of things between their, their front office, their analytics staff, their scouting department. Like I've talked to people within that organization and they were like baffled that that was the consent that that was what people came up with but i i get it this is a a time where those things are very important and there are a lot of situations where organizations aren't making the good decisions that they should be and not giving people a, a good opportunity to, su- to succeed and certain players were more vocal about this specific situation but not knowing the exact details knowing that finch was off for the job or, or was in consideration he had interviewed previously it's not like they just pulled a random dude um but he stepped into that challenging circumstance and seem to perform pretty well so far. The team seems to have responded and they're learning and doing the right things. And uh, they're the trajectory of them. If I were buying or selling stock, I'd start buying a little bit more now. Never mistake malice for incompetence um, <laughs> comes to mind. Uh, mm. It's a bad process. It doesn't mean um I think there's anything nefarious in that sense going on. Uh, It's just a bad process. Chris Finch is still there in the summer. Maybe you have competition to sign him, but if like this guy coming in midseason, he can't do a whole like it install a playbook. You know, this guy is basically on autopilot for the assistant coaching staff. Who's all still there. All worked for Ryan Saunders. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if I agree with that. Like the he, Lakers just put in new plays. Like we're seeing teams no, all across the league. Like they can put the in same. some plays. You, you, I agree. It's not completely the same. It's not the same. It's a continuation def- of a place book in, in, you know, a development of a, a playbook yeah. instead of an overwrite. Like he's on autopilot basically compared to the offense that he's right. He would install from day one. I almost think so. Given the situation, they're already not doing well. The expect as long as f- the front office's perspective and they they reset expectations and they don't expect this guy to come in and immediately have everything all set, I think it's not an awful situation. Like I wouldn't mind coming in to a year with no expectations, having a team that we can experiment, we can put our stuff in, work on the process, not really have the results counted for us at all, given what's going on. Um, I don't I don't hate it. And and if for the front office, if you've already interviewed him and you know he's more than capable of doing this position. If, if, if that's your dude, go for it. I mean, they, they've recently gone through, I mean, not recently, a couple of years ago, but I, I don't know. I, I see both sides of it. I do think the process wasn't ideal and they should have opened it back up and, and interviewed more people it, from an optic standpoint and just a process standpoint. I don't think the week that they got him earlier than they possibly could have was worth the, the backlash of the decision or the opportunity for them to have missed out on a better candidate. I think the process is, is just bad, but agree to disagree. I, I don't, I'm not saying he's not better than Ryan Sanders. I don't think Ryan said Ryan Saunders, excuse me. We, we don't have to talk about the Timberwolves this much. Okay. And, and so this is, I want to compl- throw a complete curveball because I came up with a good stat, but I forgot to throw it out there for the indie game. You remember okay. how Malcolm Brogdon was killing us, right? 
Yeah, on ball, off ball, everywhere. And honestly, I think the Lakers lose this game if not for this. He was four for seven from three. Do you know what the rest of the team was? Oh, I do not know. I'll give you. It was a four for something. Four for 15. 31. Holy crap. Wow. So if the rest of the team shoots any kind of normal, you know, we win by five in that game. Keep that in mind, that Indiana Mm. game. Lakers kind of snuck out with one. Easily could have been a loss there. Interesting. But but I just, that was just a fun thing I forgot to throw out there. So you can chew on that for a second. Let's move on to the most recent game, the game last night against the Charlotte Hornets, again, against LaMelo. Lakers came out looking pretty good in this one. This is where I actually felt like they had found their stride uh, in this post-AD timeline, like I mentioned at the top, where they felt fluid and... It, it was going from one guy to the next. Schroeder wasn't shooting well, you know, two for seven from three. But the fact that he took seven threes to me, it's still, I don't know if I'm worried or encouraged, to be honest. I might be a little more on the worried side, but um, he he still scored, you know, 22, seven assists, relatively efficient, nine for 19 overall. Um, more Kuzma, more THT, more Trez. Good win last night against a, a you know, a scrappy young uh, up and coming Eastern Conference team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was enjoyable to watch. I think Charlotte's a fun team, X's and O's wise, with some of the talent they have, with some of the individual players, and I think the the passing and the playmaking that they'll flash and the flashy passes that's that's fun to watch. Um, Lamelo put on a, a pretty good performance, and uh, the Lakers matched that. They matched that intensity, and LeBron came out and had a. Pretty strong performance, one of of several over this four-game stretch. Uh, I was really pleased with everything we saw. I think this was the second game. I think we started seeing it in Minnesota, and then it continued to this game and got even better from an X's and O's standpoint. Just the team running good stuff, finding new actions, finding ways to take the same skill sets they've had all year and just combine them and and, and do smart things to get good opportunities. We we talked about the 1-4 one, one high set earlier. They have shown another one that I really liked in the Minnesota game, and they use it again in this game, where you know something we've talked about is getting Schroeder attacking downhill. That's the the general concept. And one of the way, the ways we've talked about doing that is through that Allen Iverson cut where he cuts from one wing to the other wing, running across two screens at the elbows, and you want to have him catch and try to turn the corner. And just that on its own, it's like, you know, a, a B caliber action. You you want to do a little bit more than that. And the Lakers, the way they've done a little bit more than that is after he catches, if he's not able to immediately turn the corner, likely because his man has positioned themselves baseline, what we've done is had Wes Matthews run over, set a ghost screen for Schroeder to attack middle. And because his momentum was going towards the sideline to start with, the defense doesn't really have a chance to try to ice that situation, ice that screen. So you're going to be able to penetrate middle with that, which is something NBA defenses do not want you doing, which is why everybody, well, not everybody, but most teams ice side ball screens. And then West then gets to slip that pop uh, over to pop that slip, I guess, over to an empty corner three type look. So he's running. He's one of the guys setting a screen for Schroeder, who's running across the, the, the free throw line extended catches and then West runs over sets a ball screen for Schroeder to attack middle as West pops towards the sideline corner and then on top of that 
what we saw some teams do. I think this was from the Minnesota game. They were sagging off of LeBron, who was the trigger man in this action. He was top of the key, actually several steps back. They would help off of him to make sure Schroeder couldn't attack middle because that's, again, that's something that's really troublesome for a defense. And because of that, that makes LeBron kind of open either to cut or what the Lakers did was they set a pin and flare screen for him at the top of the key to get that kick out from Schroeder and then get open threes. So all the, there's a lot going on. You've got Schroeder potentially turning the corner to start with. If that's not there, you have him attacking middle. You have Wes popping to an empty corner three. If those aren't there because they're sending extra help, that's probably opening LeBron up to catch on that pin and flare screen. And then if his shot isn't there because they sell out for that, he's on an empty side of the court to try to drive to the to the rim. So you've got a number of different actions involved that all match the skill sets of your personnel. Take what could be a pretty basic concept of running an AI cut, but you know, zhuzhing it up with a lot of other other stuff to make it just a really high caliber set play. And then the Lakers ran it set, like I think three times in a row in the Minnesota game and a couple times in the Charlotte game. So I love that. I love seeing that. If the defense can't stop it, keep running it. Um, so that's another example of just ways the team has slowly progressed over these past couple games. And I don't know if it'll continue. It might disappear. We've seen this happen in the past with other coaching staffs, but hopefully over time, as the team finds more of these like A plus caliber set plays, they keep them and they just kind of slowly add to that. So the proportion of attacks that you're running go from like uh, you're doing a bunch, but a little bit of it is really good stuff to more and more of it is that high caliber stuff. Um, can't throw it all in all at the same time, but we're seeing the Lakers slowly progress there. So that's another one uh, call out I wanted to make because we saw it start in the Minnesota game and then continue in that Charlotte game. I think you mentioned it in there, but the the Kuzma UCLA cut cuts as well. Um, yep. Yeah. Really, yeah, that really one. Nice and and so see. the UCLA cut him and then have that continue on to like a stagger screen weak side. While on the strong side, you can either ISO or that THT kind of short roll go screen sort of situation where he catches and tries to attack down the sideline. That was the one, uh, another one for high set. So two, one for high sets. Like we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, the team has put in and they've utilized the playmaking and the driving skill sets they've had. And that alignment allows for those skill sets to work really, really well together. And another way to attack the defense, again, I think this was a 1-4 high set. It might have been Horns, was uh, that double drag play for LeBron where they set two ball screens pretty high. The first guy, Kuz, will pop. If he catches, he can either shoot or drive down the sideline because it'll be empty. The second guy is Trez, and he'll roll. And then LeBron's trying to attack the rim, which is a good play on its own, but you might have some help defense screwing some stuff up. So what the Lakers have done is, as that's happening, they have, uh, I think it was KCP, run off of an what we'd call an exit screen where he runs from like under the basket to the corner three-point line. And there's a screener that starts at the corner, takes a couple steps in, and they set that screen there kind of at the short corner. So as that Trez uh, role is happening, as LeBron's driving to attack the rim, you also have this off-ball action, which if you don't defend is an open corner three. But if you do defend, it means that those two defenders aren't tagging Trez. And we saw the Lakers get, I think, three lobs in a row to him off of that. Um, or they're not stopping LeBron, and he's able to just drive to the rim. So a third, these are three A-plus caliber set plays that take concepts and skill sets we've had and just put them together in the right right situations. And 
I'd love to see the team continue building off of that. Um, I've tweeted some stuff out with videos of these. Alex Regla did a, a tweet with one of the, I think the, the most recent set I talked about. Go check those out because you can see the, the video of how exactly it's working. And again, the Lakers did this and then went to it time and time again, four times in a row in the fourth quarter against Minnesota to really put that game away. So if you can't stop it, we're going to keep using it. And I, I love that approach. No, it's good. Uh, it came out to a 103.4 half court offensive rating for the Lakers in the Charlotte game, which is good. Uh, well, above average. So one thing that did concern me a little bit is that LaMelo was still cooking the Lakers defense. I think it was in the third quarter when he really uh, like killed them in the pick and roll. Um, with, with with Jones a little bit, with Trez getting lobs over the top um, to guys getting, you know, hitting skip passes. It's it's the kind of offense that, you know, is common throughout the league. We're going to see it probably in the playoffs. You know, it's it's that weakness that can hurt Trez, that that Damian Jones role or, you know, maybe Andre Drummond, which we'll talk about here in a minute coming up. But just closing out this recent four game win streak. Are you concerned uh, on the defensive side at all? Lakers still holding that number one spot by a healthy margin. And uh, shout out to Nikias Duncan with a really nice piece about the Lakers defense recently. You should check out uh, if you haven't. But I, I saw some still vulnerabilities. Again, no Gasol, no AD. Caruso just came back recently. Um is it me or is it uh, is it we still kind of having some issues in that some of those pick and roll coverages they they pull it together but with a guy like Lamelo he he finds all those weaknesses. Yeah, he did a really good job, and the maturity and IQ for a player that age in a complex action like that, where you have to understand where all the different defenders are, was really impressive to me and. I big picture, I think the defense is in good shape, and the catch hedging scheme is doing what it's supposed to do in terms of take away the pull-up three, take a, try to take away that ball handle or drive, and force the, the offense to, in smart ways, e- either beat you by uh, with those rolls or if, if you're tagging that with those skip passes or if you're rotating down there, it's a scramble situation, which the Lakers like, um, or do some, some smart actions to remove the tag or exploit the tag. We saw Charlotte go after this and... I think this is really where AD coming back would help. It's not that Jones or Trez can't like, it's not like they're underperforming what they're supposed to do. They're doing their job. It's the back end rotation that needs to be able to help from that weak side and defend. And against lobs, that's really difficult to do. Um, And it takes a little bit more athleticism and size and mobility. And that's where AD I think would really, really help as that back line help uh, defender and with him out that is going to continue to be a vulnerability that big picture I'm not super concerned with because that's just kind of if you're going to get beat with the scheme that's how you're going to get beat and some teams don't have the personnel to even try to do that uh, and once the Lakers have their full personnel back I think they'll be in better shape um, but I, I think this was another example of a team getting a little bit uh, the better side of the Lakers pick and roll defense um, and and Talking on that pick-and-roll defense in broader terms, I think we've seen some growth from them over these four games and then heading into the All-Star break before it in terms of really building out all of the different nuances. It is a base, soft hedge, catch hedge, same thing. It's base 
catch hedge defensive scheme on pick and rolls, but not every single time. And there will be times where we run drop coverage or times where we switch or there will be situations um, where based on what's happening, you do something different from your traditional coverage. If there's a side pick and roll, the Lakers like to ice those. They don't they don't want to let you get middle if you're starting from the wing getting a pick and roll. They don't want you to drive middle. They'll have that guard basically stand in front of that screener and not let you use the screen and force you to drive down the sideline. That's one situation where it's just kind of like on offense where you have those built in if this then that principle based stuff, but on defense. So we're icing side ball screens often. Uh, on high ball screens against specific players, and this is a game planning thing, they will use that weak coverage, which is similar where you don't let them use the screen, only it's not on, on the sideline, it's in the middle. So we do, we do that a little bit sometimes. And that comes sometimes with a drop, sometimes with a catch edge from the big. And then if there's a deeper pick and roll set where like the guy, the ball handler starting from like the short corner, the Lakers have dropped against that or even switched against that because you're not going to be able to cover the roll man if you try to hedge there. So that's just an automatic, like if they go to that attack, we know we can't run our base coverage or it's going to get beat. So we do something else. And then the other time I've seen the Lakers run drop coverage is pick and rolls where the ball handler is driving from the top of the key to a side of the court that has two perimeter players and the weak side only has one perimeter player in a way where as that roll man's rolling, the only possible guy that can tag has to decide, do I want to tag the roll man or do I want to stay and, and stay home on this get past corner three? And there's no help for him. A big piece of the Lakers defense that we talked about is tag the roll man and then somebody needs to help that helper. Against that alignment, there's no help for the helper, which means sometimes he's he's not going to help. Um, or if he does help, that that corner shot is available. So that's the one other instance I've noticed that like, yeah, we run a base catch edge scheme, but you can find individual clips where we're not. And if so, it's one of these situations just because those are that's the smart thing to do. Even if it's not best for your personnel, perhaps it's the best against that alignment or that action to defend the court. So when I say base coverage, that doesn't mean we're going to run it 90 percent of the time. I just I just wanted to clarify that. But I think the growth the Lakers have made in terms of running it 90 percent of the time to now knowing what to use when against who is a really big piece of growth that we haven't covered as much, but was something I was uh, slowly seeing. And I think we're at a pretty good point with it now. Oh yeah, no, totally. And especially considering the guys like um, Wes Matthews, Schroeder, Trez, the Lakers like to be pretty aggressive with the ball denial, right? So they'll switch off screens too. And just knowing exactly when it, this even works for a guy like THT, you know, maintaining the, deny coverage sometimes means just passing your guy along you know when there's an off ball movement guy trying to come around the other side you know they're gonna switch so okay you can top lock him over there now like you can mm -hmm. go be on the reject side and when it's kcp and caruso they're like if seriously watch those two guys sometime when they're passing guys off to each other they're so good at that at maintaining their angles and and just if if they their guy does get the ball, they're gonna have to stop and kind of square up against him, you know, or keep going and like 
there's not really an advantage there. They've got yep. someone on their back, you know, Trez or LeBron is, is there to step up in case they attack the basket. So yeah, all those guys, West, they get better at those pass off switches, you know, and, and just over time, the principles become second nature. Uh, and, and that's playing as, as a connected unit. I think as Steve Kerr likes to say, playing as five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because you can have individual defenders who are really good at these things. And Caruso, he's been good. KCP's been good at those off-ball screen things. Um, Schroeder, THT have been a little bit weaker. The more reps you get as a unit, because it's it's a more than one-man action, the more reps mm-hmm. you get as a unit, the better chemistry you can build in terms of that communication. And being able to know what to do a half second earlier because you've done it dozens more times, hundreds more times, allows you to defend better and turn what would have been an advantage of a couple inches into no advantage or an advantage of a foot into an advantage of a couple inches. So like defending those things is part uh, like your physical tools, but for the most part, it's unless you're some like crazy athletic defender or like not not athletic enough to defend in the action. Most guys are in the middle there. Then it's IQ. And then it's technique. And we've have guys that some are better with technique, some are okay, some are not as good with technique. The IQ collectively, I think, has grown in this area and that chemistry is part of it. And that's where I think we've seen the most growth in that respect with that specific area of the defense. And it's it's the type of defense that like isn't loud, it's not noisy, it's not blocks, it's sometimes a lot of times not steals, but it's good defense. And that's why guys like Alex Caruso or like Marcus Gasol, who's not a super noisy defender. Um, they're showing up really, really high. I think third team, second team, all defense in our defensive LeBron statistic. They're having an impact. It's not always the the noisiest. Sometimes your eye doesn't see it. Sometimes it's not even on ball, but they're doing their job really well and it's translating to, to winning. And I, I really appreciate that. And for a team that's as good as they are defensively, you're, you should expect to see some guys get some defensive recognition. And I think... AD, even though some folks haven't liked how he's played, he has still been a a pretty high caliber defender. He's very important defensively. Caruso and Gasol were all three in the, I think, third team all defense for our D LeBron stat. And then LeBron himself has been, he's had the highest impact of any defender in the NBA within his helper defensive role. So his like... He's not chasing dudes around screens. He's not wing stopper defense. His matchup difficulties down. He's guarding more stationary shooters and the stretch bigs. And we've talked about that. So in a way, like he's being asked to do a little bit less from a physical standpoint. But that doesn't mean he's not helping the defense. There are guys in that job that also aren't rotating and not doing their job and not not cleaning up when the defense does generate an advantage. And those are the dudes hiding in that role. LeBron's not hiding in that role. He's doing that role as well as anyone is. And we see it game after game. And on film, you see it even more because there will be times where Caruso and KCP do screw up something off ball and somebody slips because they know there's a switch and they would have been open. But LeBron takes three steps over, puts that fire out before the player even gets the ball. And you never even notice it because we're all watching the ball when we're watching live anyway. So it's those little plays in addition to those help side blocks or the chase down blocks, all yeah. those those louder things. But a lot of it is quiet, but good technique, high IQ basketball where LeBron is supporting his teammates and helping them even when they do make a mistake not get burned for it. And that allows guys like Dennis Schroeder to be more aggressive at the point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. ...attack or in those uh, screening situations. So it all fits together. All of these skill sets build on each other with the way the Lakers utilize them. And I'm just thrilled with that. And that's why we're seeing it translate to elite defense even without our top defender and Anthony Davis playing for a good portion of the season so far. All right, man, let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we will have a Damian Jones versus Andre Drummond face off to the death. <laughs> that could be only one. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. All right, back from break, Tim. I think how I want to approach this is I want to give you your little lane, and then I want to, um, you know, like tell you that you're actually driving in Australia and you're driving on the opposite road (laughs) than you should be. And just basically, no matter what you say, devil's advocate you. So Andre Drummond, not available as of yet. The, uh, you know, time frame for him to get traded is 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 quickly closing. You know, he's either going to get bought out soon. I don't see him ending the year with Cleveland. The more, you know, as the piece dominoes fall, Blake Griffin of the Nets, other things happen. It seems there's a lot more chatter going with Andre Drummond to the Lakers, but we just have our second 10 day contract with Damian Jones, who has done the job that we've asked him to do. And, you know, 15 minutes a night roll with Marcus Gasol out. He's done fairly well. Uh, I think we can all be you know, pleasantly surprised at what he's given the Lakers. So, t- but tell me why the Lakers, what the Lakers should do here. I'm not even going to set it up either way. What what should we do? Damian Jones, Andre Drummond, fight. I I want Damian Jones. I'll take Jones. I think if you go point for point at what you want them to do, what they bring, how they fit in, Jones is a better fit. He's a better player in his role, and his role makes more sense for the Lakers. Uh, defense. We'll start with defense. Jones has it once he's gone to the Lakers. He's done some drop coverage. He's done some catch hedging and he's done some switching this year. And in previous years, he is versatile as a big man pick and roll defender and he will fit into the Lakers scheme now. And he's going to fit into whatever the Lakers scheme is in the playoffs once we get there, if he's playing at all, because he can do each of those things. He's actually better in those more aggressive screen coverages than he is as a drop big, which is a big reason why we're seeing him 
perform at a higher level with the Lakers than he perhaps did in Phoenix on a really small sample earlier this year. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Andre Drummond, who is not a versatile big man, pick and roll defender. He is a drop big. I uh, did did some digging, found some info uh, looking at his screen coverages on the season from second spectrum. 90% of the time he's dropping. He is not catch edging. He is not double teaming. He's not showing hard and recovering. And when he has in 2017, 2018 with Detroit, I think he was an all-star that year. He did, he was used in a lot of blitzing. He got burned left and right with that. And I tried to watch some film on him and I had to turn it off after like five minutes because I just, whenever he was trying to hedge, he was getting blown by. And it was the, the, the immobility in that specific circumstance will hurt him in this Lakers scheme. Now, as a drop big, we can look at how effective he's been at that. Because if you're bringing in JaVale McGee, you're bringing in Dwight Howard like last year. And again, I'm not saying they'd come this year, but those types of guys, you know what they're good at. And as long as you ask them to do what they're good at, they'll be okay at that. They, they're drop bigs. They're not those other things. They did it a little bit in the playoffs, but they're drop bigs. Drummond, as a drop big, has also not performed well. Again, looking at that second spectrum data, here are the only players last season that were worse in drop coverage than him on, on some sort of high volume. Markeith Morris, DeAndre Ayton, Marquise Chris, Nasreed, Nasreed, I think it's Nasreed, uh, Taj Gibson, Carl Anthony Towns, Mo Wagner, Kevin Love, and Cody Zeller. That is not your, like, those are a lot of names of guys that in drop coverage last year teams weren't scared of. He's the next guy on that list, and he hasn't been a plus drop coverage kind of guy for, for several years now. So, the question becomes, do you fit him into the Lakers' current scheme, which he hasn't really been asked to do because he's not good at it, and he would probably not succeed trying to catch edge, playing more aggressive screen coverages, or do you change your team's defensive scheme to match his skill set and play a style of pick-and-roll defense that's different from what the Lakers have done all year and is something he's below average at and is something that is not a fit for the playoffs. You're not going to be running drop coverage in the playoffs and the Lakers have set themselves up well to translate this top level defense to the playoffs already because they're running screen coverages that they can do. Then they're not running a bunch of drop coverage now and then having to throw it out to do different things like they did last season. This scheme translates. If you insert him and you change your scheme, the upside isn't there because you can't do it in the playoffs with success against almost any team. And he's already below average at that. So that's where I would start with Drummond's defense. He is good at playing passing lanes. He does get a bunch of rebounds. He's a good defensive rebounder. He's better than Damian Jones as a defensive rebounder. And he's going to get more deflections and interceptions. I don't know how much that matters relative to the other portions of his defense. So that is where I would want to start. Okay. All right. So you're saying Damian Jones you would rather have than Andre Drummond. Okay. For this team and this scheme. So I, I really quick, I, again, devil's advocating. Are you yeah. saying that the Lakers now don't know how to play as a drop team? I am not saying that. I am saying that if you have to run drop coverage whenever he's defending and then you're running different screen coverages when other other guys on the court at the power forward position are defending or other bigs in the same game, it's a little bit more challenging, but that's, that's a small, that's smaller potatoes compared to this doesn't translate to the playoffs. So I, I think that immediately caps what he could bring to you in a way that you can't 
see with Damian Jones. Like Drummond in that one sense profiles as a regular season innings eater and nothing more because of this one, one key important piece. Okay. So I'm going to clap back in the sense that what you're saying to me, or at least part of the argument that, that you're using that I find I can manipulate to my advantage here is that (laughs) Damian Jones in the role that the Lakers are asking him to do is within his strengths and the role that Andre Drummond has been with, with the Pistons, with the Cavs is not maximizing him. Like, dude, look at his synergy profile. His efficiency on offense is trash. It's bad, but he's doing a lot of things that he shouldn't be doing. He's has a usage that he shouldn't have. So to me, Andre Drummond, it's hard to argue that Andre Drummond isn't more equipped to fill the exact role, even even if the defense isn't perfect, it better equipped than Damian Jones because Drummond can do all the things that Damian Jones can. And even per uh, B-Ball Linux player profiles, very similar in the um, interior defense, you know, not quite as good uh, rim deterrence. What is it? Where uh, and Damian Jones, with his interior defense over the past three seasons, not just this year, has been really strong as a shot blocker in terms of blocking shots when he's contesting, in terms of disrupting opponents on shots or taking their shoot way worse when he's contesting. Um, and Drummond has been more average when you compare with other centers. Gotcha. I'm making a bigger point to me because there there is stuff, and you mentioned that Drummond – uh, is really good at you know uh, steals, deflections, interceptions. That leads to he has pretty good transition points per possession. That is more of a positive than anything Jones could offer to me. But you know, again, like trying to to fit Drummond into this role, right? Contested offensive rebound percentage, eighty third percentile, a minus. His putback impact per 75 is not good. It's an F. But every other box offensive rebounding fits and fits in with the, you know, the other guys on the Lakers team that we kind of brought up. He doesn't have good contested defensive rebound percentage, Andre Drummond. So it, it it's hard to see him as that effort hustle guy, but he's actually a good playmaker and he, he good uh, passing creation quality, insanely good, right? For a big at 90th percentile, uh, high value assists. He can do things there. And I can see, you know, watching him in transition, um, a lot of the plays where he can test on a three and gets those hit aheads from Braun, um, just like Anthony Davis would. So you have the similarity of, or, you know, big hit ahead seals to get him in transition. Is that defensive? edge that Jones has just a little bit so great that all the the offensive uh, production and putting him in a better role, the verticality Drummond would offer the actual, you know, impact maybe from the dunker spot underneath where Marcus all hasn't really had somebody making maybe play make out of the short role. Is that not? And, and, Effectively paying them the same salary, right? Uh, Andre Drummond, not 
a great player if you're giving him 30% usage and allowing him to be the ball handler in pick and rolls. And you know what I mean? Just have the ball in his head all the time. But if the Lakers who have been known to cut out the bad parts of guys games and keep the good parts and, you know, encourage the good parts. Is that not like, right? There's a talent, a significant talent discrepancy. And oh, sorry. Last thing with Andre Drummond, I think it's hilarious. The finishing, right? Um, sorry, pulling that up here. His finishing is hilarious. I wanted to mention this to you. Um, so his, <laughs> yes, his getting to rim rating, 100th percentile. His finishing at rim rating, first percentile. <laughs> yeah, but I, I hey, what, how I read that is he's posting up a lot and he stinks at it. He's creating, this isn't dump offs, this isn't assisted stuff. The getting to rim is self-created yeah. attacking. He is very, very frequently, and, and this kind of, works to both of our points Mm -hmm. he currently is generating a lot of offense for himself down low and not doing well with it and but if you came here if you change his role no you're done yeah yeah, yeah. it it would be the dwight scenario where you say dwight you can't do this anymore no and you're only posting up when we get a switch and you have a mismatch like go at it but we're gonna cut that piece of your game out because you're not adding value there that immediately makes him better than he has been this year uh, in a Lakers situation. And in a lot of ways, I agree with you that what he's been is lower than what he will be in LA. He's going to get easier looks at the rim. Even if he underperforms as a putback guy, as a dump off guy, as a cutter, as a post score, he's going to get easier looks. So it, that should improve. Um, his defense with the guys around him will be better than the, his current situation. Uh, in terms of his playmaking, he's got guys to pass to that, that can score really well. He's not a floor spacer, which I think hurts him a bit. You can't use him in the Marcus Gasol where you stick him at the top of the key and run actions. Even at the elbow, he doesn't have that same gravity. Um, that means that a lot of his playmaking is coming from the low post. And if you can do that without also letting him post up a bunch and try to score for himself, there's some value there. But I haven't found examples of individual players who facilitate a lot from the post and then when nothing's there, they kick it out and haven't tried to create for themselves. So if you can curb that behavior, you can get the good without living through the bad. But I think what you're probably going to see is him adding some value as a post playmaker, but also posting up a bunch. So it's kind of one or the other. Either you take away a lot of what he does as a playmaker or you live with both bad offensive post play. So I think that's a piece of it. Um, I agree with you that like in terms of how he would fit, like he's a he's a much better uh, guy in terms of like helping you get into transition. If we think about how, how does a team get in transition? You have to finish a defensive possession and Rebound. he's killing it on the defensive boards, even though not a ton of them have been contested. Like you point out, he's killing it on the defensive boards. One of the best guys in the league this year, that's going to that. And then outlet passes that helps or, uh, generating turnovers, generating steals. And he's a dude that's getting deflections. He's playing passing lanes really well, getting yeah. interceptions, both of those things fit in with what we would love to see the Lakers doing more of. So in those ways, I, I love that fit. And I think if he does come to LA, I'm not going to be like, oh, this was a terrible decision. I don't like it. Blah. Like he, in a regular season setting, again, you're kind of capped with the ceiling here, but in a regular season setting, he can add value as a playmaker. He will be underperforming as a finisher, but getting really good looks. He will be adding value defensively in terms of getting your team into transition 
and that's kind of the pitch for him. Whereas with Jones, he is a roll and cut big that you know is going to be low usage. You know he's a good finisher. Drummond hasn't been a good finisher this year. You know that Jones can play that putback game as well, and he's actually been a better post scorer than Drummond over the past couple of years, just on lower volume. Um, he's more versatile with the defensive pick and roll coverages, and that translates better to the playoffs. And uh, I, I'm trying to think of my other points. Neither of them are four spacers, but. I think for the role of roll and cut big on offense, anchor big on defense, Jones is exactly who we'd be looking for. Whereas Drummond is kind of graying the lines in between different roles and you'd have to really curb who he is and how he's used as a player now into a better form of himself in order to see that value. And then that value is capped at the end of the regular season. So that's that's where like if you if it's him versus like Let's say Gasol, for example, if Gasol is out for the rest of the season, which we have no indication will be the case. But if Gasol is out and we're down a big man body or something, I'd rather play Drummond than play the deep bench Laker guys we have. But if Gasol's back and we have Trez and we have AD and, and, and Jones is doing what Jones is good at, Jones fills a void in a role that the other Laker bigs don't do. Drummond has some overlap with ad and with gasol from a playmaking standpoint but doesn't space the floor and would be very much a weak link in terms of a a defensive screen coverage standpoint so i see it difficult to play him with anybody other than ad and or or i guess keith um and it's just i don't see the upside there so i don't i wouldn't hate it if he comes on like we'll talk about it and find ways he can add value but if it's one versus the other i like the upside with jones he's a younger player you can even probably bring him back multiple years for really cheap and and have another dude that you're getting excess value because you're optimizing him really well and he's in a low usage role and that's just a dude that's good to have on the roster i think damian jones has done pretty well uh given the what he's been asked to do coming in starting for a defending champion team but i will try and add some truth that i have some concerns about dude's hands on offense frankly uh a lot of bobbled catches you know going up to finish strong gets ball gets jarred loose frequently um he's missed a couple know, dunks Missed He's a turned couple a couple, uh, a couple of those lob back screen lob plays into I fumbled the ball I have to land and then put it back up. He and, steals our joy, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can send me the clips of Andre Drummond like literally holding the ball for twenty seconds and then driving wildly and throwing a crazy shot up. You know I, this specific play I have in mind, but he is skilled with the ball. And and like I'm just boiling this down at a very, very base level here. And like we talked very specific, you know, zoomed in data, just straight up basketball players. Andre Drum is a better basketball player, man. Like yeah, it, it's true. Cool. He it. But there is issue with, you know, chopping up that player into bits uh, for his future. Dude's 27 year old. And I. I mean this literally chopping this dude up. When you come to the Lakers, your game's getting chopped up. Mm-hmm. We're cutting the fat away. That's not good. That doesn't help the the rest of the leanness taste good, basically. But you're going to be this now, Andre Drummond, for forever, whatever we chop you up into. And I don't know if he's ready to a, accept that kind of role, B, be content with it and and not try to get a 
mid-level exception deal even from a team uh, in the summer, you know? So it for me, it's a higher upside play, but a higher risk proposition. And Damian Jones is a lower upside, but a low risk profile because he is this guy. He's going to be content most likely with the role he's given and fill it well as well as he can. And he'll get played out of, of the playoffs unless we play the Nuggets or something. Right. There's there's certain they areas. Would. They and both would. I, I, I think there's a scenario where Andre Drummond could have some minutes, but I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's possible with Damian Jones. I, I think it is possible with Andre Drummond chopped up Dr. Frankenstein style and recreated. Do I think that is what he and his agent want? I don't. I don't. Mm, yeah. The buy-in piece of it is going to be important. And that may keep him from even coming to the Lakers. And keep in mind that when we hear things from Woj or other reporters or even like analysts from, from different media sites, a lot of the, like their inside info comes from agents. And mm-hmm. along with that, the, the give and take there is they will be a sounding board or not a sounding board. They, they will be the, the megaphone for those agents to kind of prop their own guys up. So a lot of times when you see like Woj, most of the time he's just reporting this happened. This is what's going on. This is, you know, when he's adding analysis, a lot of that is coming from those sources wanting to make their guy look good. So it's like, oh, this player who is a candidate for six player, six man of the year, whatever, you know, is out for two days. Like <laughs> that piece of it is coming from his agent. This is a situation where, and we've seen this in the past, where guys get tied to the Lakers and and they get more into the spotlight and then other teams become interested. I don't even know if the Lakers are interested. I don't know if Drum's interested in the Lakers. I don't know if you'd accept the role you need him to take. And I think it would... Like he's someone that you would have to have a serious sit down discussion with and say, hey, here's where you are. Here's where we need you to be. We need to change a lot of what has been core to you as a basketball player so far. And, you know, if you do it, we think you can succeed and we think you're going to add to this team. You're going to get playing time. But if you don't, we're going to cut you. You know, we're we're paying you the min or whatever it is. Like if, if you can't buy into this role, you're not bought into this role. We can find someone else that will. And. That trim down role, I think, would better optimize him if he buys in. But what is like that role is facilitator on offense that can't space the floor, can't finish at the rim well, can't post up. That defensively is a liability in any any screen coverage. I I struggle with that. That that's where with with Jones, I agree that he's less skilled and like his career upside is probably less. Like he is always probably going to be this very pigeonholed be a rolling cut big on offense low usage get easy looks finish lobs which Andre Drummond does not do I don't know people haven't been watching him play basketball he's not finishing lobs um and then mm-hmm. on defense be an anchor he finishes big, some lobs that, not like not. over the top in the pick and roll but he yeah. will in I the mean, dunker dunk. spot okay that's still something Tim that we don't really have y- you have it in Damian Jones I I think mm-hmm. for the role you'd ask <laughs> them to do catch the ball He's. I mean, we're every literally every single game so far we've seen a lob throw. He's been fine. One. He's been fine. He's been. He's been been fine. fine. But the knee. The the thing with Jones is like the other bigs for the Lakers don't do what he does. I guess they don't do that. But so I I guess what I'm trying to throw out there is, is, and at some point we'll have this discussion. And I know we're going a little long today. Maybe. Yeah. 
I'm worried about AD, man. It's hard for me to picture a scenario where he comes back in two weeks, he ramps up toward the end of the regular season and is 100%. So in this scenario, Drummond's a cover. And maybe you you live with that medicine that doesn't taste good sometimes, but it's the only thing that could save you. Because Damian Jones ain't ain't giving you any minutes that that can you know provide any modicum of replacement value to Anthony Davis. And, and Drummond could, and it could be volatile and a nightmare. And I, I don't think I want it on this team, honestly. I don't think I want the Andre Drummond experience. But it's it's hard for me to not see the high risk like reward proposition there as being the understandable if they decide to go that way instead of the safe route with Damian Jones. All right. Well, I mean, in a week, we'll probably have a resolution on this in terms of what the team actually does. I'll, if the Lakers bring him in, we'll try to think of like, what would the playbook look like to fit him with the other pieces? Right now, having not given it deep thought, but trying to brainstorm, I struggle way more trying to find a way to fit Drummond in offensively in a value-add way. Whereas with Jones, it's like really simple, very straightforward. I know exactly who he is, what he does. And for the role he he's doing, screening, rolling, lobs, dump-offs, He's good at those things. And if that's the role that you're going to fit Drummond in, Jones is better at it. That's where it, it, the so so to me, in order to say that Drummond's going to have that upside offensively, we need to flesh out what does that look like? And and that's where I and, and I could be wrong. I could be not seeing what I should be seeing. And I haven't again, I haven't given, given it the deepest of thought. But for me to get there with Drummond to be like, yeah, there's some upside here. Because I know for, on defense, it's limited. On offense, I need to be able to conceptualize where that is, what those like actions or sets might look like. And I think I, I agree with you that like he provides some of what AD does, um, much more so than Jones. But if AD is back, and AD, I don't know, let's just physically, he's a little bit more limited, but he's still a facilitator. He can still shoot a, a little bit, and like those pieces of his games are still there. Those are the pieces that I think Drummond would try to overlap with, the playmaking. Whereas if the physical side of AD is down a little bit, that's where Jones, I think, has the edge over Drummond. So I, I don't know. I, I'm i very open to being wrong on this. And I would if the Lakers bring him in, I would love for him to succeed. And I think we'll, like you're saying, chop his game up into the pieces that are going to add value. But I don't want to see the Lakers let Damian Jones go in order to bring him in. That I think that's... That's my conclusion of this. That's what I want people to take away is I would prefer to keep Jones. I'll take them both. I mean, we have roster spots. I'll take them both. But if I have to go one or the other, unless we know something about, unless they know something about AD that we don't, I'm going to lean Jones. But I think you've brought up some really great points. And I do see they're very legit, real areas that Drummond adds more value than Jones in in a number of different ways. So he's he's still a good basketball player and he would probably help the Lakers if he came in. Things have come to a tipping point with Drummond where he tried to play his way into a new deal in Cleveland by being that hub of an offense, by trying to be that that guy, the go to guy around a couple guards and fill in that role. And it's not worked. He's not efficient. He's not playing well. So if he's smart and he, he, he sees the. The future kind of play out. He'll recognize that if he chops his game up, Tim, we don't know if Andre Drummond is worse at being the roll and cut big because he hasn't been that than a Damian Jones because he hasn't been that guy. 
but he's done those things. That's the thing. Like his propor- the proportions are off. Exactly. But, but that's so it's not that you could. But we can still look at those. Things. Like go pull the synergy profile up. He's been a bad role man. He's been a bad cut guy. So we I, can I, change. If it point, were, yes, so, the factor changes when it's LeBron James on your team. And uh, again, all of these things are not all in a vacuum completely. Right. The shot quality will go up. He'll yes. perform better. Yes. That's that's the piece of context that that one B-ball index stat's going to look at that the synergy profile won't look at. And right. when you increase when you lower that shot difficulty, the success will go up. The synergy na- data will go up. But I don't want to equate Drummond with Dwight Howard, where Dwight's profile before he came to the Lakers was lots of posting up, which he wasn't good at at the time. And then he was a very good dump off guy. He was a very good lob guy, a very good role guy. All of those things he was kicking butt with. He just wasn't doing – you just had to switch around the tendencies. Drummond right now is underperforming in all of those areas, and you need to not just change what he's doing but lift his context up enough that it becomes more value-add than Jones, who currently is doing well in those same areas. So it's, but, there's more of an unknown element of it. And in the past, Drummond's been a pretty good finisher. So that's that's the piece of it that like if he's – if it's like a he's not trying and now he's trying thing, maybe we see a, a resurgence for him because he's been a decent finisher in the past. It's not this even year, about trying so or or it's about opportunity and and the pieces around you too, right? Like, is he doing more shot creation, playmaking because he has three fucking centers on his team that aren't him? Maybe. Uh-huh. And he's been good at the playmaking. He's like legit. Like the data looks very good. Quality, good. The, the volume's decent. The versatility for a big man, through the roof. He can't he's actually dribble. so well. He can't actually yeah. dribble. It's it's just like all these little like f- marginal things are that don't that don't paint a clear picture of this guy uh, is certainly better for this team. I'm not saying that. I'm saying unquestionably, I can't take out of the consideration that Andre Drummond has a higher basketball ceiling than Damian mm-hmm. Jones does. I think the role just needs to be super nuanced because yeah. if you just look at like if if the four the four big men roles we use at people index versatile big where you do a little of everything stretch big post score roll and cut big Drummond's a post scorer Jones is a roll and cut big for the Lakers you'd want Drummond to be like I guess a roll and cut big that's facilitating which isn't something roll and cut bigs do so it's the the normal skill sets that help specific positions succeed or fail Drummond isn't a ideal fit for that wrong cut big role but I think it's about just kind of lowering the usage enough and feeding him those easy looks and then leaning on that playmaking is the that would be the formula in a very nuanced unique kind of way that not many big men in the NBA are doing these days that would get the most out of him We'll see. I'm, I'm, I mean, a, a THT Andre Drummond pick and roll like makes my eyebrow raise for a second unit. There could, you could do a lot worse. I'm going under that. I'm going under and I'm going <laughs> to drop coverage, Tom. I don't, I don't care. Both of those guys can shoot as many threes as they want. I don't care. All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so that is the definitive Andre Drummond, Damian Jones fight face off conversation there. Um, we're going to wrap it up there, Tim. Where can we find you? Anything else you want to promote? You still doing that deal for the player profiles? We did use a lot of that data uh, in our conversation between those two there. And I will say, Tim, I didn't get to do it, but I really enjoyed the percentile comparison. I threw Damian Jones, Andre Drummond and Dwight Howard, even though it's for this year. It does track 
over, you know, multiple years, the percentile comparison on -hmm. those player profiles really gave me a good idea of, you know, the context for where uh, Dwight Howard was last year and where Drummond is this year, where he was last year on the Pistons, on the Cavs. There's a lot of a nuance to, to reading some of these guys numbers. Yeah, it's so the tool you're talking about for for anyone who's not familiar, you go and you pick any of our stats. Any, we have like 280, 290 stats. You pick any stat and you pick any up to three or four players. And you can see a multi-year view of how they've performed in that area from a percentile standpoint year over year and see the trend line. So like some guys, like if you pick LeBron playmaking, it's going to be good every single year. If you pick, I, I don't know, Ivica Zubat's dump off, efficiency it might go up and down i don't I don't know but so that's a great tool to compare multiple guys not just one or two in in any specific area one thing i do want to plug and uh add to the, the very very specific the i'm already tired of the lebron mvp thing and i get it and we if you looked at the post game quotes they were like don't it was like it, lobs it was lobs being thrown to every single player and every like anybody who was interviewed was able to put on record a lebron should be mvp quote don't um, take the bait my only thing <laughs> And I think this is, again, it's it's promoting a b-ball index thing. This is free. Anybody can go look at it. The context data we have where you pick a player and it says the spacing around him has been good or bad. The playmaking around him has been good or bad. The, the penetration ability, the finishing at the rim, the scoring gravity, each of those five areas. If we compare LeBron's data with other MVP candidates, it is stark. <laughs> and so LeBron, the spacing around him, 21st percentile. Playmaking around him, 28th percentile. Scoring gravity, 20th percentile. Uh, penetration, 21st percentile. Finishing at rim, 34th percentile. So the spacing's bad. The playmaking's bad, so he's not able to do stuff off ball. The scoring gravity's bad, so teams are able to focus more on him. The penetration's bad, so uh, other guys aren't creating, and then he's able to attack you know, off of the kick out and swing pass. And then the finishing at rim's bad, so when he's setting dudes up to score, they're not, they're not uh, converting. So... Compare that with, and I'm not going to read off every percentile, but if you look at like Giannis, you look at Jokic, you look at Embiid, all of those guys just across the board for the most part are really, really high. Like at least some some of them are average average in some areas, but then like 80th, 90th percentile, like Giannis is spacing 92nd percentile around him. Um, Jokic, he's played, he really stands out in just about every single area. The guys around him are very talented, very skilled. And this is context that should be looked at for these sorts of discussions because you can have two guys doing the same things at the same talent levels, but if one of them's in a way better situation than the other, they might be more efficient. They might put up more points or whatever because it's easier just given, you know, there's better spacing around them or what have you. So that is my one little little plug for the B-Ball Index thing. And yes, our promo codes are still active, exceptionalism50. If you want to get 50% off your first month, uh, so you pay 200, I'm sorry, not 200, $2.50 for a month, 30 days of access, and then five bucks a month after that, you can cancel at any time. Or you could do exceptionalism 10 for 10% off our annual subscription. So you pay like four bucks a month instead of five bucks a month, big picture, something like that. Good stuff, man. Um, We will chop it up back hopefully early next week. And then, uh, I don't know. I'm down to stream tomorrow, but we'll we'll figure it out. I know we did promise to stream. March we couldn't Madness, do Tom. What? Tom March Madness. What? What's that? Oh God. All right. Getting out of <laughs> here. We got another 90 minute pod to edit. So uh until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.